encounters by the grace of God that are so vivid in my life of, of hearing him that, can, can, that, that made it impossible for my life to remain the same after that. As a five-year-old was my very first major encounter with Christ. It was very much in the early to mid-70s. And uh, this was a time when Bible studies, Bible Sunday Bible school was really all about learning about Jesus Christ. So a lot was taught us in, in, in Sunday school about Jesus Christ. And uh, there was a session we had and we were told about heaven and why we should look forward to going to heaven. And I said to my teacher, I really want to go to heaven. I want to see. I like he, what I'm hearing. If a place can be so beautiful, so desirable, I want to go there. Is there a way? I mean, I was five years old. I, I, I was fascinated by, by the picture that was painted for me. And I remember my teacher, our children's Sunday school teacher, said to me, don't worry. You continue to follow him today. He said, one day, God will take you there. And I was like, wow, this is it. And not quite after that. I can't remember exactly whether it was about a week or a few days after. I was lying down. Our house had a, a, a central section whereby we could uh, just put, put some mats and, and relax in the cool of the day. It was built, built by, by the British in the 60s. So it was a very big house, and after they left, some of, some of the civil servants, like my dad, they, we moved into those houses, so that's how we got the house like that. It was very big, very nice, very lovely compound with lots of plants and things. Anyway, so I lied down. It was very cool, and I fell into a sleep. I was only five years old. I fell into a sleep, and then I had a tap physically. Somebody tapped me in that trance, and he said, you said, you wanted to see heaven. He said, I have come to show you. And when I looked up, I saw the picture of Jesus Christ as we knew him from the studies we have had. And in that trance, he held my hand and we walked. There's a small pathway that leads to our gate. And he took me right up to the gate of the house. Then he stopped and he said, I would have taken you there now. He said, but I have an assignment for you. And he vanished. And as soon as he vanished, I found myself back on that mat, back in the room. And I was amazed. I was outstanding. I didn't know what it was, so I ran to my mother and I said, this is what happened to me. And my mother, in the typical way that uh, Samuel, Eli spoke to Samuel, said, go back there and lie down there and feel at rest. That if he comes again, just be there. Don't run away. Don't do anything. She was excited. Hallelujah. I went down, I lied down, I didn't see anything again. But at the same time, I never forgot that encounter. But you know, that settled something for me that put me in a situation whereby I understood that I don't know what it is and I'm still learning whatever it is, but that God has an assignment for me here on earth. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. When Samuel was a baby and he didn't quite understand the voice, he had to ask. And when Eli knew that God must be the one speaking to this child, he said, go. He said, when you hear him again, he said, speak, for your servant is listening. You need to know how to recognize his voice because when he speaks one and you understand and you are able to follow, he continues to speak to you. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So we must recognize him as shepherd Desire to keep hearing from him. Desire to keep following him. And we must trust him completely. There are times God will ask us to do things that will not follow logic. I have said that to you many times. 
when God spoke to me to leave my home country, to come to this country, there was nothing logical about it. I was only 26, 27, 28 years old, coming to late 20s and having a very privileged position to be doing things that many 35, 38, 40-year-olds would be very, very glad to be given opportunities of doing, controlling budgets and doing things that was just out of the favor of God. In my home country, traveling the world, and I was enjoying it, really enjoying it. My wife and I were very young. We had just our first child who was a baby. And we were like this, you know, it's just a good life. We enjoyed it. And then suddenly God says, leave all that behind because I'm taking you out of your home country to minister my word in a unique way, which I knew was going to mean go and start all over from somewhere else. A place I don't know, a place I wouldn't know how it would work. I have a steady job here. Why must I leave it? If I was to follow logic, I would have missed God at that point. But I thank God that God made a way, hearing that voice, and as soon as I stepped out, everything else is history. We must know how to trust him completely. Many of us are not trusting God. We say he's our shepherd. We shall not want, but we are not trusting him completely. When he's asking for it, when he's placing a demand for more of our time, we still want to hold on to things that we think we should be doing. Now, I'm not saying we should be careless and just go live whatever we are doing, but you know something? You need to know how to trust God. In November 2012, when God said to me that I'm going to, you need to step up and I'm going to give you this assignment to do, and I, I said, Lord, I don't need another job. You have given me good things and I'm enjoying it. I'm thankful and I'm ready to be as an itinerant, as, as, as itinerant as you want me to be. I can go anywhere for you. I, I can go and preach anywhere. And I, I meant it. He said, no. He said, this is not going to be another job for you, but it will be an assignment. And it changed everything. It changed everything. And I'm thanking God today that seven years later, I am thankful to God that he has been faithful. He has shown me all the questions I had in my mind. How was I going to do it? How was I going to be able to commit continuously? Because I used to travel quite a lot. How was I going to commit to a church plant and so on and so forth? And today, look as if. All those things were never a concern anyway. Because there is a place when you trust him, when you trust him, when you completely trust the shepherd of your soul, there is a level you come to that makes you walk even as a wonder to yourself. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 71 that I am as a wonder unto many, but the Lord God is my strong refuge. So we must continue to recognize him as shepherd and trust him completely. Number two is in verse two. We must rest in him. Let's look at Psalm 23, verse two. He said, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, again, I know that you, you know these verses. <laughs> I know you've memorized these verses, but you see, when you understand Christ, your great shepherd, helping you to lie down in green pastures. Your, your struggles minimize the more. You gain understanding of him helping you to lie down in green pastures. Your struggles of life and the worries and the stress of life, the things that make people stressed up every time, never, because you cannot find them beside the still waters. You cannot find those kind of things living beside. If you see sheep by the still waters, they are there. Their eyes are closed. The only thing that makes you know that they are alive is from time to time, you see them shake their head, nodding off of sleep. They are so at rest. 
That is what he does. And, and that is because their shepherd is there with them, guiding them, probably also with the guide dog that makes sure that anything that is trying to attack them is completely warded off. He said, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. Many of us, many believers are laboring and are heavy laden, and they cannot find the rest of God because they are not coming unto him. They are not surrendering unto him. We must trust him to the point where we come to him. What does this mean? How do we come to him? Come to his word. What has his word said? You know what? You believe the word of God regardless of what you see. You believe that his promises are yea and amen regardless of what is looking like. Many believers come, but because of what they are seeing in the physical, they cannot completely wait patiently and trust that what God said will come to pass will surely come to pass. And so they go on trying to, to figure it out. Many times when sheep leave their shepherd and all they are doing is wandering over the place looking for food. Meanwhile, the shepherd who knows the way, who knows where the still waters are, who knows where all the green pastures are, is saying, come, come. And the ones who hear his voice are going and they are finding rest. But the ones who are sheep also but are not going are wandering about in the wilderness and languishing and crying and bleating and some of them dying sadly. Because they fall into pits, they fall into, they fall into wrong hands, they fall into hirelings, they fall into people who are ready to, to take them and, and, and cook them for a meal. Or they just fall into other wild, the hands of other wild beasts that will just snatch them off. That is why the Bible says, it is he that breaks the hedge that the serpent will bite. Believers, we must understand that the, the call to, to, to go with a great shepherd to make us lie down in green pastures is not an option for us. It's commanded, it's demanded by our great shepherd because that is what he died for. That is what he paid for. He did not pay for you to continue to suffer. He did not pay for you to go to hell. He did not use his blood to pay for you, for you to go to hell. He did not pay for you, for your, for, he did not use his blood to pay for you, for you to live in any kind of sickness, shame, or want whatsoever. He did not. Or any kind of sin. He did not. When we trust him, what we are doing, and when we come to him, what we are doing is that we are allowing him to lead us beside the still waters. Listen, friends, the still waters... Does not, lying by the still waters does not mean that the animals will not attack. It does not mean that the challenges will still not come to threaten. But sheep who are clever and wise, as long as they can see their shepherd, remain at rest. They don't, they don't worry. They don't feel afraid. The sheep that David had, that he was telling us about in 1 Samuel 17, must not, they wouldn't have been afraid, especially when the bear came the second time. They wouldn't be afraid because they, they saw how he tore the lion for them. So they would not have run anywhere. We must understand today that as, as the world continues to face all kinds of uncertainties and all kinds of news, predictions of all kinds of terror and all kinds of things that are happening and are real, the ones who have been called by the great shepherd, the shepherd of their souls, must take refuge in him. The Bible says, he that dwells in that secret place shall abide under his shadow 
And they shall continue to say of the Lord, the great shepherd, he is our refuge. He is our fortress. It is in him that we will continue to trust. He said, come unto me. Are you coming to him? The challenge that you have, that you had one year ago, and you went to him, and he answered, and he gave you a testimony. Have you forgotten so quickly? And you are not going to him this time for this fresh challenge. Friends, as long as we are in this world, Jesus said, as long as we are in this world, we shall have tribulation. We shall have trials of our faith. We shall have tribulation. But we must be of good cheer because he has overcome. We must understand that from stage to stage, life continues to throw up challenges. If you have never passed through certain stages of life, you may mock people who are in that stage of life and are passing through a certain kind of challenge until you get there yourself. You find that if, if you've never been to school or you've never been to university, for example, and you don't know what university education can be like when it can be so demanding, and so, so especially some programs that just require you to be working every time as long as you're on that program. When I went to engineering school, we were not allowed to fail any module. There was no receipt, no repeat for five years. Five years. No, re no receipt, no receipt of any module no repeat of any class. The moment you failed one module, you were out. That was their way of getting us to understand the importance of the profession, that there is no room for error. Because if you design something wrongly and it collapses, there is no chance people will die. Things will happen. So that was this, 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 the way they taught us that there is no chance to fail which was very rigorous. Maths in our first, first, first years where we did like A-level subjects in our what we call the preliminary study, the 100 level of those days, we did maths, physics, and chemistry. And all those subjects, as, as advanced as they were then, we could not fail anyone. Then we came into engineering subjects and we had to subject ourselves. In our 200 level as engineers those days, we took all courses in main core engineering, mechanical, electrical, civil. Even though I was civil, I did courses in mechanical, thermodynamics, and so on, and electricity, and all those things, from electrical engineering, power engineering, software engineering. You took all those things. Then when you get to 300 level, you start to specialize, and the higher you go, by the time you are in 500, you are on your core areas. So it was like a pyramid, but you are not allowed to fail at any point. Whether it was mathematics or structural design, you are not allowed to fail. So we were, we were taught like that. The challenge was heavy. And we would think 100 level was the toughest. When we got to 200, we saw it was crazier. Get to 300, we said we would be more focused, but then we found that we were more focused, but then the challenges were harder. <laughs> the assignments were more involving, and so on and so forth. And then when you finish the first degree, you think that you have achieved something until you go for a master's program. Then you know that you were only playing. The few years you did your first degree, you were only joking. And I'm just using that as an illustration. It's the same way with life. If you've never been married before, you may look at married people who are struggling in areas and say, what's wrong with these people? Just love your wife. He say, Bible, say, husband, love your wife. Wife, submit to your husband. What, what is so difficult there? Get married first. <laughs> Get married and let us see you submit. Let us see you love. Then we understand that you, you too, you are passing. But before that time, you can't talk. <laughs> you can't talk. Or you see all these people, they, they can't control their children. See children running all over the place. Go and give birth to three children. That, that are age five, three, and two, <laughs> all together in one place. Let us see you control them at peace. Then we can say, yes, you have tried. 
Life is full of challenges. When you do school run and school run, your car is, is doing school run every day and your head is swelling like that. You come back home, you are still cooking and you are doing things. And then somebody has gone to one place and has painted on the wall before you... You, <laughs> you don't know these are life challenges and you are studying at the same time. You are trying to do your assignment. You know, my colleagues who, who are on Zoom, who... And we are doing meetings. Those that still have young children used to make us laugh a lot throughout this lockdown. And we're having those official meetings. And you see some of them, the children will come and climb on their head like that from behind. And you say, oh, I'm very sorry. We say, no, don't worry. Some of us have passed through that stage before. <laughs> the man will come from the back and pull the hair. <laughs> Hallelujah. Life is always full of challenges. And we must understand that as we go from stage to stage, we must be a people who are resting in him. We must be a people who understand that he is the one that makes us to lie down in green pastures. Whatever challenge you are facing today, the God, the, the shepherd who took you through the challenge of yesterday that gave you life today is still able to take you through. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. The devil will tell you this is bigger than yesterday. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's just a lie to make you lose focus from the great shepherd. The great shepherd has all capacity to take you through every kind of challenge of life, whatever it is. What are you telling me? How old are you? You are 40 years old and you, you can't, you say a family is a challenge. Do you know that the, the, the prime minister of New Zealand is 30 something, 35 years old, running a whole country, a woman? I'm not denigrating the gender. I'm only saying a woman, 35 years old, running the country called New Zealand. And then you are telling me that it's a challenge to run a family of four people. <laughs> if human beings that she may not even be born again, I don't know. But if human beings that don't even, who are just using natural grace, natural grace to do things, then we should not be a people who give up on the one who can make us do supernatural things. The one who can give us supernatural exploits. Let's move on very quickly. Verse 3. Psalm 23, verse 6. It says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we must recognize, number three, we must recognize him as our sanctifier. So number one, we must recognize him as our shepherd and we must trust him completely. Number two, we must rest in him. Then number three, we must recognize him as our sanctifier. You see, the spiritual journey is a, is a race that starts with Christ will proceed with Christ and end with Christ. That's why the Bible says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Many of us have no problems with his authorship. Many of us have no problem with seeing him as the finisher. We're always looking on to that day when he comes to call us home. If you're a Christian, you're not looking forward to that. I don't know what you're looking forward to. That is, the, that is the hope of every Christian because whether we are dead or we are alive, the Bible says we will be caught up in the air with him. That's the day we are looking forward to and we should be looking forward to. But you see, in between that is a race we are running, like we established last week, which we must understand that the righteousness of God in Christ that we have become needs the restorer of our soul constantly. Our soul is a wanderer. Your soul and my soul is a wanderer, is a drifter. If it is good for the flesh today, the soul will wander there if you are not careful. If your spirit man cannot hold him, he will wander there. And before you know it, you are thinking bad things, doing things, saying bad things, fighting this and doing all kinds of things. That is the soul. That is why the Bible says, the psalmist said, he is the one that restores my soul. 
And then he continues to lead me in the path of righteousness. He strengthens my spirit man so that my spirit man can, can continue to make sure that my soul is being transformed and my, in, my, my, my mind is being renewed consistently so that my mind and my soul is now more reliant on the regenerated spirit than the flesh. Do you know why people worry? The spirit man is not in control. The flesh is in control. The environment is in control. Sense knowledge is in control. This is what makes many people worry. This is what makes many people give up. Now, I'm not trivializing any experience of life. Listen, friends, I have, I have some things. You have not heard some stories from me. Take it from me. You have not heard, maybe some of you have heard bits of certain things that I have not really made common. I have been through certain things in this life that, believe me, even today, I still marvel how God helped me through those periods, how God delivered me. The Bible says he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Every one of us, we must understand that we don't trivialize the challenges of life, but we must rest in the one who restores our soul. We must rest in the one who leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. The Bible says God has given him a name above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So when something that should be bowing is not bowing in your life, for that his name's sake, he comes and he acts on your behalf. That is what the great shepherd does. But you must recognize him as your sanctifier. Sanctification doesn't just mean that he delivered us from hell. That is the major thing. But sanctification means we are separated. We are detached. So when you understand this, you find yourself being detached from the forces of evil of life, the schemings, the, the evil machinations, the, the trappings, the things that people try to do to, to, to subdue one another and to, to make a mess of one another, the, the ill fighting. You get sanctified continuously from it. The devil wants to suck you into it. You go to the shepherd of your soul. He pulls you away from it again. This is how it is that you maintain your sanity. I tell you, I used to tell my, my, my wife a lot that I am learning something about God. That the more you understand sanctification, the more you are able to live from a realm. Where it's like in an airplane. That's how I can describe it. You know when your plane takes off and before it goes way into the cloud where you can't see anything again. Just look down. Look down. From that perspective, that road that used to look so long that you will travel for, especially in a hold-up, that you will travel for 30 minutes to get there. Suddenly, you see the beginning and you see the end of it from the air. And you are like, wow. So this is the road. This is the entire thing. That is what I see. That is the way I can describe sanctification. It makes you detached from the world system. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. You are detached from it. So when people think they are cheating you and they think they are, they, they, they are doing their schemings and things, you will not get involved. <laughs> and it will be baffling them. That, doesn't this man understand that we are trying to get him down? Doesn't he understand that we are really out for him? And he, he puts, and you are at peace. You are looking at them smiling because you are from a realm whereby you have a restored soul. You are from a realm whereby you are leaning on the one who has led you to the paths of righteousness, the paths of dominion, the paths of victory. You are no longer bothered. You are no longer bothered. Now, the flesh is not easy. The flesh wants to live there. The flesh will want to be pulling you to say, look at what they said. Look at what they did. Look at how they are doing it. They are cheating you. You will lose out. That's what the flesh will be shouting. But the regenerated spirit man that is being led in the path of righteousness will say, come on, keep your soul. Keep your cool. Keep your cool. God is in charge of my situation. 
And before you know it, like we heard on Victory Praise Night, before you know it, the Ammonites, the, the, the Moabites, the Mount Seir people, all of them will be fighting each other. Because you are living with the one who said, when you dwell in the secret, in the secret place, he will be your refuge. Hallelujah. We must continue to recognize him. Don't let the word sanctification only mean to you delivered from sin anymore. See yourself as separated unto God. Whatever it is, whatever cannot happen to God is not allowed to happen to you. If they could not kill him, they cannot kill you. If they could not destroy him, they cannot destroy you. If they could not take him before his time, they cannot take you before your time. If they could never make him poor, they cannot make you poor. If they could never punish him, they cannot punish you. That is the meaning of sanctification. It is not about you painting or not painting your face or not wearing one earring and dressing like somebody from 1900 because you are sanctified. That, that is nonsense. Sanctification means that your, your soul is, is, is delivered. Your spirit man is separated unto God. And your soul, by that separation, your soul is continually subduing itself by, to the dictates of your spirit man rather than the flesh. And I want you all to know today that when you recognize him as your sanctifier, the great shepherd continues to help you to live in realms beyond the human mind. May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. Very quickly, number four. He said, yeah, though I walk, Psalm 23, verse 4. Sorry, let me quickly give you one verse before we go to Psalm 23, verse 4. To recognize him as our sanctifier, Isaiah 53, verse 6. I like that verse. He says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We can easily go astray. Before we were born again, we all went all over the place. When we get born again and we're not listening, we still go over the place. But that iniquity has been paid for. And every time we hear the good shepherd, we come back into the sheepfold. Every time we hear the good shepherd, we continue to enjoy his rest. So we must understand that he is our sanctifier. Our sins were laid on him. The reason why you are not permitted to suffer the things that the devil wants you and I to be suffering is because somebody has paid already for the consequences of those things. So let us continue to stay with the one who has already done these wonderful things on our behalf in Jesus' name. Number four. He said, yeah, though, Psalm 23, verse four now. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Specifically, I would like us to understand God as our deliverer. We must see him as our sanctifier, the one that separates us unto him, but at the same time, he's our deliverer. Every time we err, every time we find ourselves in tough situations, maybe we're going through a trial of life. You know, in life, you will always face three things. You will always face trials. You will always face tribulations. You will always face temptations. Temptations, trials, and tribulations. Temptations, trials, and tribulations. The first one is coming from the devil. God does not tempt anyone. Temptation comes from the devil to try to get you down. He will tempt you with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Any kind of temptation you can think of in this life will be one of those, in one of those three categories. He will tempt you always with those things. It is the work of the tempter to pull you down. But you see, trials, the trials of our faith are permitted by God to work out patience for us, to work out perseverance in us. 
and the tribulations of life are the things that happen to prove the, 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 the existence of God, the victory of God. The tribulations of life are the things that mark out the believers and those that put their trust in God. And so it is important that we understand this is the tribulation phase now. I'm not talking about the tribulation after the rapture. There is a tribulation after the rapture that you and I, by the special grace of God, will not be a part of. That is the tribulation that the Antichrist will rule and make everybody subjected to. Or everybody worrying about the mark of the beast and all these things. That is what it is for. It is not for you waiting for the return of Christ. By the grace and mercies of God, it is established in scripture. The Antichrist has no right whatsoever. That is the Antichrist coming for the tribulation because there are many Antichrists now. But the Antichrist, the Antichrist coming after the rapture has no place in the place of the saints as long as Jesus has not yet come the second time. Be not afraid. Be not worried. Settle in him. And by the grace of God, we will continue to overcome in Jesus' name. He said, yeah, though I walk. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. John chapter 10. Let's go to John chapter 10. Jesus said, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He is the deliverer. He is ready to lay down his life. Verse 12, yes. He said, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Somebody will say, but Brother Dave, I, 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 how will I ever find myself in the hand of a hireling? You know what? Anytime we put our jobs, our uncles, our relations, our bank accounts, our businesses, and all those things, and we inadvertently are putting our trust in them much more, what we are doing is putting our trust in hirelings. Putting our trust in hirelings. In the last eight weeks, I've had two major flights canceled. Anything can change anytime, as long as it is this world system. Anything can change. Hotels booked, everything booked, canceled. Because just within eight weeks, in fact, it's not up to the 13 weeks, eight weeks of those journeys, I was supposed to make long, two long trips, canceled. Anything can happen. As far as this system of this world is concerned, in 2008 in this country, banks collapsed all over the world. And in this country, money suddenly became difficult. Four years before that time, it was a boom. It was a boom. People like us, by God's privilege, were buying houses without deposit. Just four years before, they gave us opportunity. They said, first time buyer, no need for deposit. In this country, four years later, it was as if all that never happened. The so-called financial bubble. We are living in a world that is run by hirelings. And the more you understand that whilst we are in the world, we must never lose sight of the good shepherd, the one that lays his life down for us, the one that keeps us going, the one that is there, regardless of whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a financial bubble that busts or whether it's a, any other kind of uh, global uh, calamity. The one that never changes. The same yesterday, the same today, the same forever. Your focus must never be shifted from it. Whatever you think you have today, he has given you. If you put your trust in him, whatever happens to that thing, you still remain who you are. And his, his, him being your source never runs dry. We need to understand this because many of us don't understand how can I be. I, I'm, not, I'm not a follower of a false religion or whatever. So how can I be in the hand of a hireling? A hireling doesn't just mean somebody who is leading a, a sect or a religion. It means those things that are in the world system that present themselves as formidable. 
dependable, established, strong. This country has one of the strongest passports in the world. Do you know that? There's one of the passports that is strongest the most that you can use to travel to every country. But do you know now, now, our own passports, in British passports, they are being risk assessed across countries all over the world to know whether they will allow you to come in and not be quarantined or not. <laughs> and the same day, everybody I know. But, you know, it, it's funny. Just a few months ago, a few months ago, I got used to traveling on my British passport so much that I don't get questioned in many airports, so much that I went to one country, I did not fill any form, I just put the passport on the table. The man said, where is my form? I said, which form? I've not filled a form for years. Because most countries you go with your British passport, they will just stamp you and say, go in. <laughs> Very powerful, but now they, they risk assess us wherever we go because of, of Mr. Corona. <laughs> God have mercy. Anything can change, anything can change. And I'm, I'm not laughing about the pandemic or what the, the devastating effects it has caused all over the world, the grief it has caused many families. But I'm just telling you, put your trust in the great shepherd. Don't let it move one day, regardless of what you attain otherwise. Number five, number five, very quickly, verse five. He said, you prepare a table before me, Psalm 23, verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Number five, we must recognize him as our divine supplier. Very, very close to what we have just looked at. We must recognize him as our divine supplier. Never let your eyes go off the one. The Bible says he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Despite the challenges, despite the things that they put in front of you to try to, to make you. Listen, friends. People will not like you, and I'm not cursing you. Some people will actually hate you, not because of anything wrong with your, your look or even your skin, as many people think, but because of the Jesus Christ in you. Jesus told us that they hated him, they will hate us. So there are certain people that will just hate you. You have never spoken to them, they don't know you, they've never done anything with you, but they just hate you. Don't worry about that. If you keep focusing, especially when God now makes you see, and you keep focusing on those things, you will limit your own capacity to enjoy the goodness of the great shepherd. The Bible says he will prepare a table before you in the presence of all your enemies, whether they are spiritual enemies, physical enemies, emotional enemies, enemies against your health, whatever they can be, or even human beings who have bought up the spirit of the enemy to be enemies to you. The Bible says he will keep preparing a table before you. Men can deny you business opportunities, but they can never deny you supply of funds from God. Men can deny you promotion in your workplace, but they can never de deny you the honor and the glory of God. Men can deny you things on this earth, but they can never deny you the presence of God. Keep it, and in their presence, in the presence of what they think they are doing to deny you, you will see God helping you to rise in diverse ways. I have many testimonies like that that I won't, because of time, share with you today. Where men have thought that they stopped something. And they, they used all their power, all their might, everything that was at their disposal to think that they have stopped something for me at that point. And God in his own wisdom, God in his own magnanimity, just works out something completely different that no human being could have stopped. Many times. I, in fact, I live, that is my life, to be quite frank with you. That is my life. God said he will prepare. And how does he do it? He anoints your head with oil. 
The oil there is what David could use because he was anointed and he could understand the anointing as a king and all that. But you know, the oil doesn't have to be physical oil. Now we can use it by faith, like James 5 teaches us to administer oil by faith for healing. He said the prayer of faith will save the sick. It's not even the anointing that saves the sick. It's the prayer of faith. But we can use oil as a physical emblem of our faith in God. There's nothing wrong with anointing oil in that way. But you know what? The anointing is more about the presence of God, the spirit of God coming upon you. Acts 10, 38, the Bible says how God anointed. Did you ever see Jesus Christ being anointed from heaven and God pouring a bottle of oil on him? No, he just came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the anointing. And when the Holy Spirit came upon him, that's the anointing. The Holy Spirit on you will make you get your cup to be running over. He will put you in a place whereby he keeps preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Friends, I'm not saying you will not work hard. I'm not saying that you will not have challenges. But you will have supernatural results that is evident. Our church is a supernatural result that is evident that no human being can take the credit. Impossible. The kind of budget, the kind of things that we do in this place, the kind of ways we operate for the past seven years, it is impossible. We don't have any money bag anywhere. There's nothing like that. God is our money bag. God is our supplier. God is the one that's been running this mission by his own mighty hand. And that is the way he wants to run your life. So that no human being, he said that, I will, I will bless Abraham. Abraham said that, uh, he said that, Abraham said that, I will, I, will, I will bless the Lord so that nobody will come and say, ah, I made Abraham rich. I made Abraham rich. No human being must take that place. He is the one that anoints your head with oil. When your head is anointed with oil, when the Holy Spirit comes, you know what he does? He gives you creative thinking. He gives you innovation. He gives you ability to think and see things that others are not seeing. He helps you to manage things. He helps you to set things up. He helps you to work multidisciplinary. He helps you to multitask. He helps you to do many things that would have been very difficult because the anointing. Because he anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and power, and Jesus Christ went about doing good. In John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and go out, and he will find pasture. He will go in and go out. Pasture there means that you are finding the things that God has given to you. Everywhere God takes you, all my walking life, everywhere I've been, God makes me see things that I, I can just be doing. And before I know it, it starts to help. It starts to help. This has been my life. And I find that it's so simple. When God anoints you, that's how you'll be walking. That's how you'll be doing. He will inspire you in ways that people are not thinking like. He will inspire you in ways that you, you don't, you, it's not common. And you'll just be doing it gently. You'll just be operating cool. Nobody will know how your strength is coming in that area. God is a faithful God. He said your cup will run over because he's your divine supplier in Jesus' name. Finally, we must learn to enjoy his goodness and mercy. This is what we learned in verse 6, and we're going to close on that. So surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, we quote this almost every service, and everywhere believers gather, most times we quote this verse and pray it. Fine. But we must understand that we have to believe it. We have to learn to enjoy God's goodness and God's mercies. The Bible says they are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 21 and 22. They are new every morning. Micah 6, 8. He says that, that he has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? That to do justly and love his mercy. 
Love his mercy. Everything God has done is good. James 1.17 tells us, and when we learn to enjoy it, our lives never remain the same because we are not walking by the principles of this earth. We are moving rather by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I have many things to say to you, like Apostle Paul will say, <laughs> but time fails me. I have many things to say to you. The final verses in Hebrews 13, verse 22 to 25, the last verse, verse 25, says, Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. I pray that the grace of God will continue to be with you in the name of Jesus. The great shepherd is worthy of our following. We must recognize him. We must trust him. We must see him as our deliverer. We must see him as our supplier. We must, we must enter into his rest. We must see him as the one who continuously supplies our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We must see him as our divine supplier always. And we must enjoy his goodness and mercy in the mighty name of Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ truly be with you. And may God continue to cause you to be sanctified unto him. As we break our bread and drink of the cup today, I just want you to tap into that fresh grace. His blood is a reminder that you are under that grace. His body broken for you is a reminder that it's already been paid for. Why are you still struggling? Why are you still worried? Why are you still confused? May the Lord help us today in the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We are grateful for the privilege to come before you and to present these matters before you. We just pray today that Lord God Almighty, as we come before the communion table, that you will sanctify us indeed. And help us to walk in the functioning of this grace. In the mighty name of Jesus. Well, well, well.